In these harrowing times, three young women step forth to debunk myths floating around the internet and the world. I'm Peggy, the public health specialist. I'm Libby, the librarian. And I'm Carrie, the rock scientist. This is The Triple Hoax. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Triple Hoax. Hey, y'all. We're back for episode 17. We hope Wait a minute. Wait a minute. To, uh... It's episode 17? Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. All right. We hope you listened to episode 16.5. Otherwise, you might be a little confused. Should we do a quick reintroduction just in case you haven't? Uh, sure. So, um, I'm Bess. Well, I've, or not Bess. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. Holy shit. <laughs> um, I'm Libby, the librarian. <laughs> it's Brittany, bitch. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I'm Peggy. I'm the public health professional. Profesh. I'm Carrie. I'm the rock scientist. And we are officially going by our real people names. No longer under our Nancy Drew nom plumes. And this week we have a guest with us. We want to introduce our guest, formerly known as Bert, my husband, Patrick. You know him. Hello. You love him. Oh no. No, 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 no. Are you going to shotgun a Fago? Shit. Please say yes. I have a Fago red pop in the fridge, you guys. Yes. I mean, anyway, need the face tattoos. I do not need the face <laughs> tattoos. No. I mean, all right. You don't bring RC Josta to a Fago fight. That's that's all You're I have right. to say about that. You don't. This week, speaking of juggalos, I guess. <laughs> um, hey, let's... they're Christians. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. It's easy to. This week, we're going to talk about Satanic Panic. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was really enthusiastic. Well, I didn't realize it was happening at first. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, was there really a satanic panic? No <laughs> question mark? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. You gotta leave tonight. I don't have to go nowhere. This body is mine. No, it's not. This body is mine. No, it's not. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and on the authority of God's word, I command every spirit to leave. So let's talk about what the satanic panic was. It wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. <laughs> for sem- for certain true. people. It was real fun for Tipper Gore. Oh yeah. She had a field day. She had a and the guy who and then the guy who wrote The Exorcist. Yes. Oh yeah. That's true. And the guy and the lady who wrote Michelle Remembered. <gasps> oh, Michelle. Oh, God. Lawrence <laughs> Kasder? Yeah. It was real fun for Stephen King as well. Oh, probably. It's true. I mean, I feel like Stephen King is more lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. It's no Michelle Remembers. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, it also has literary merit. Yeah. Uh, Some of okay. them. <laughs> Some of them. Compared to Michelle Remembers. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll talk about Michelle Remembers later. Um, okay. So the Satanic Panic was a time period in 
the mid-80s. Yeah, it was the 80s. It was the entire 80s. <laughs> it was the entire 80s. <laughs> yeah. But it started in the early 80s, and it was basically a time when evangelical Christianity sort of, like, latched onto pop culture and decided that it was all evil. Now, there were a few <laughs> big things. There were a few big things that really sparked the discussion about the satanic panic, and to talk about that, we're going to have to talk about cases of quote-unquote satanic ritual abuse. Mm-hmm. So if that is triggering to anyone, maybe you want to skip this episode. May we also define the technical term satanic ritual abuse? Do you want to supply that uh, that definition, Carrie? Uh... That that was actually a prompt. I didn't actually look it up. <laughs> listen, listen. You know what it is. You know it. You love Let's, it. You've seen it. You've probably experienced you it. it. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, if you talk to any of those professionals. All right, Jesus. Patrick. Patrick, so, what is the definition of satanic ritual abuse? So according to Wikipedia, our one uh, true lord. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't know how to cross yourself in Wikipedia. Oh, probably like a W. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, basically the idea of the satanic panic and a s- satanic ritual abuse, it's a physical and sexual abuse in the context of occult and satanic rituals. Ugh. It would usually, theoretically anyways, be perpetrated by a number of people. And adults. they would be adults. Yeah. Onto children. And most of the time they were a part of the quote-unquote Church of Satan, which didn't actually exist as an entity at at this point. Well, the Church of Satan was founded in 1966, but those people were not actual Satanists because none of it was real. (laughs) Spoiler alert! (laughs) When um, the Padzer guy claimed that the Satanic Church he was talking about was was from, like, pre-Christian days. Yeah, was a different Satanic Church. Oh, okay. Some Illuminati shit. Oh. Yeah, yeah, pretty strange. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. It's hard to talk about the satanic panic without talking about the satanic ritual abuse first. I kind of wanted to talk about it at the end, but I think we're going to have to start with it and then go into the pop culture stuff mm-hmm. that right. also became sort of panic-inducing at the time. Mm-hmm. So it all starts with the Manson murders in 1969. Confirmed devil worshippers. So Charles Manson formed this cult um, that was much earlier than 1969 when the final act of the cult was essentially murdered a bunch of the people who were his like cult members and now he's in prison. Ritually murdered them. Ritually murdered them in like a satanic um, fashion. And then right after that, or not long after that, The Exorcist came out, Mm. um, which is a book that was written by William Peter Blatty, who actually died in 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah. uh, The review by Time Magazine when it first came out was, Pretentious, tasteless, abominably written, redundant pastiche of superficial theology, comic book psychology, grade C movie dialogue, and grade Z scatology. In short, (laughs) The Exorcist will be a bestseller and almost certainly a drive-in movie. Nice. That is an epic drag. And they were not wrong. No. Scatology. That's poop science. Sorry. It's all right. 
<laughs> the Exorcist was a very popular movie. Uh, he wrote the book based on something that he heard about that happened in the 40s when he was at Georgetown. Wasn't it based on A Haunting um, in Connecticut? No, A Haunting in Connecticut is, uh, the movie is based on something that happened with the famous couple that investigates the supernatural. Oh, that's right. Okay. I don't remember what their names are. I never remember their names, but y'all know who I'm talking about. You can <laughs> The Annabelle people. Yeah, exactly. So the exorcist was about a, a real life exorcism, heavily air quoted, mm-hmm. uh, uh, done on a boy called Roland Doe. <laughs> Roland Doe. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Continue. And so a Catholic priest who had heard about it um, was the one who ended up telling the guy who wrote the book. And incidentally, William William Peter Blatty um, was very Catholic and actually got in a feud with the Catholic Church later. Not the Catholic Church. A feud with Georgetown about how they weren't Catholic enough later in his life. Okay. I was going to say, fight the Catholic Church, but... Yeah, and so then... After The Exorcist, um, there was also then sort of like the satanic panic stuff um, that you guys were talking about that's like uh, related to ritual satanic abuse happened. Um, The book Michelle Remembers was written and like 60s and 70s, uh, heavy metal got really popular. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing that like the music revolution happened, basically. That music revolution. Yeah. Starting not really with. The Beatles, although kind of, the the pop culture of the 60s and 70s laid the groundwork. Yeah. I was going to mention that lots of people when the Beatles first came here in the 60s, people in the South, they would have like parties where they would burn like mountains of the Beatles records because they thought they were like ungodly and like encouraging children into sin. John Lennon didn't really help them because he said they were bigger than Jesus. Oh, yeah. So. Yes. That, too. that was a... Poor decision. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, depends on who you ask, I guess. Um, <laughs> in the early 80s, the really famous case that kind of kicked off this whole moral panic was the McMartin Preschool case. Oh, yes. The operators of this McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, were charged with a bunch of different acts of sexual abuse over children in their care. This was in 83. I think the the thing that is important about this is that none of it actually happened. The abuse didn't happen. The abuse didn't happen. Um, it's not to say that the children weren't necessarily like mistreated at this preschool, mm-hmm. because we don't know what really happened. But this was the first case of its kind where... So many children came forward and made these statements that all sort of corroborated each other, and it was—it ended up being several hundred children. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Uh, three hundred and three hundred and sixty was the total number. How that old are these kids again? Preschool. Five, four, five years old. Yeah. So um, the real issue was with the interviewing techniques that were used. So when like. You see, like, as a joke in a show or a movie, like, a psychologist being like, show me on the doll (laughs) where the bad man touched you. Oh, no. That's the kind of stuff that they were doing, Uh, which we know... Is leading. Is very leading, right. Not many of these interviews ended up being used in the trial, because... I read that it was, like, the longest and most expensive trial in U.S. judicial history. Yes. Yes, it was. Actually... Um, the trial ended in 1990. Ten Whoa. years? From 84... Six. 
or 86. Um, four years. We can do math. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was 10 years. The trial ran from 87 to 90. That that was like the main trial because arrests and the pre-trial oh, were yeah. from 83 to 87. Jesus, Jesus was not there. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently yeah, not. When I read about that case, I was like, "Yes." Well, there were lots of other cases too. Well, I mean, not as well, big so and like crazy. But. The the media coverage of this was really widespread. It was one of the first like super widespread media coverage of like a case like this. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the news reporters were not um, being very impartial in their news reporting. Well, we're all familiar with that. <laughs> Well, well, well. <laughs> so what ended up happening was that news of this sort of spread all over the country and everyone became panicked, thus they became <laughs> panicked, about the idea that this could be happening to their children. Yeah. And so more and more cases started coming forward because it was in the news and people were hearing about it. People came forward with these accusations against their parents, against teachers, against coaches, against you know any adult who may have been in their life. I was curious about this and why just satanic ritual abuse, like why it centered so heavily on pedophilia and sexual assault. And I read an article, they interviewed this um, ex-FBI agent, and Mm -hmm. it turns out that in the 70s and 80s, they finally created a special subunit in the FBI specifically for child sex, uh, sex abuse. And so when that started getting, like, they started catching people, you know, and dealing with this, it was a whole, also, like, a whole national conversation about, like, this has been going on for, like, ever. Like, probably since recorded history, you know, which is horrible to think about. I'm not, I'm gonna stop thinking about that. Once we started putting a name and a face to it, putting people on alert for it, mm-hmm. it, it just fueled it. And then, like you were saying, the bands and the pop culture and the preschool yeah. case, it just pretty much, like, spread like wildfire. Right. I mean, it's not always about this, but usually it's about this. Um, the whole idea of um, women going into the workforce hmm. and having to leave their children with oh, in childcare. Yeah. Or the work of women that, of taking care of children that would normally happen in the home. The destruction Um, of the nuclear family. Exactly. (laughs) So, like, there's this whole idea that, like, really, really bad things will happen to children if they're not being taken care of at home by their mothers. So, like, this, on, on some level, this is part of the moral outrage of children, you know, like, being put in a daycare, not being taken care of by their mothers. Mm. Like, that's you know, some of the psychology that would have, like, increased all the profile of this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Also, the new advent of helicopter parenting and, like, <laughs> excessive paranoia on the other side about, like, well, we may be, you know, working and my kid's at the daycare, but, like, who, like, what what's happening to them? What are they doing right now? I'm not there. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well, I know another thing that, uh, kind of helped springboard off of this is that whole Halloween poisoning thing. <laughs> yeah, the razor and the apple. And oh, the yeah, Halloween candy. Because, yeah. like, the actually only time that happened was, yes. I think, in the late 70s. Yeah, and it was, like, and that intentional. Was, like, one of the yeah. Primetime TV was still, like, kind of in its heyday, and so everybody was watching the same news all the mm-hmm. time. CNN probably existed at that point 
point, right? And so, like, now we've got, like, the beginning of the 24-hour news cycle where if there's one crazy case, like, people are going to hear about it nonstop. Mm -hmm. So, uh, on that note, (laughs) that happy note, why don't we take a little music break? Yeah. And when we come back, we will talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Get ready to hear some sweet devil tunes. Heaven forbid. Welcome. Here we are. We've been waiting for you. (laughs) Yes. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you heard the ghost noise Patrick just made. Um, I don't really know how to make demon noises. (laughs) Does anyone really? Just start talking backwards. (laughs) I tried to do that in my head and mm. I couldn't figure it out. Mm -mm. All right. It's a tough one. It's a toughie. It's great that we're talking about D&D this episode because we have our resident D&D expert. My husband. Yes. Patrick. What'd you say? I just said whoop whoop again. No, don't say that. Stop that. I gotta represent. No, me don't. Uh, anyway. So talk about D D and what that has to do with the satanic panic. Tell me about it. Well, as a dungeon master of the seventh order. Fancy. <laughs> we like to sacrifice people. We do, yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of demons. Yeah. Uh, well, sure. that doesn't actually happen. Um, <laughs> obviously. Well, you know, in game maybe. Things but... happen. 
They do. I'm just saying. Uh, now I just want to play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So D&D came around in the late, mid-70s, and for the most part it was just kind of, everybody let it be its own thing, and all the nerds got together and they played <laughs> their weird spin-off of a war game. But in 79, that's where we first hear of the case of, like, a crazy person trying to kill people in D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, in real life. And of course that wasn't actually what happened. IRL. There was this kid... Yeah, IRL. <laughs> uh, named James Dallas Egbert III. <laughs> and yep. he was like this child prodigy. He went to Michigan State oh. at like 15. Oh. And, and shout out his to friends our, got into role playing. My alma mater. <laughs> yeah, both of you, right? Yeah. Yes. Good times. And fancy MSU kids. Sure. We'll call it that. Shame. <laughs> so much shame. Quote unquote fancy. So this kid, 15 years old, was already in college. He's he was from Florida. Yeah, originally. Apparently because of his child prodigy mess, <laughs> he went to school, he met a bunch of friends, and they all started playing D&D. The thing about him is, is a 15-year-old in university... Mm. obviously not necessarily going to work out. He had a lot of depression. He had a lot of loneliness. He eventually started taking drugs. And he had a really hard time coming to terms with his sexuality. Oh, really? So he had all of these things mm. bubbling up and building up. Mm. And eventually he disappeared. Oh. He vanished into like the steam tunnels under Michigan State. Those do exist. They do exist. Yeah, they do. And that's where people thought he went. And he actually did go there and try to kill himself. It didn't work. So then he ran to Florida. He ran away to Florida. What? Um, Jesus. So nobody knew this, obviously. So his parents hired a private investigator. And the private investigator went to his dorm, noticed all of his D&D stuff. Oh, my Lord. And from that moment on... Oh, God. He was convinced. Yeah. He was convinced that all of this happened Mm. because of D&D. What? Okay. Uh, wow. <laughs> so when he wow. talks to media about it, when all this other stuff happened, it was really bad. Can yeah. I ask, is this the Mazes and Monsters kid? Yes. yes. Mm, I thought yes. it sounded familiar. <laughs> so after this whole thing happens, a book was published, like a pulpy fiction book, Mazes and Monsters, about basically a sensationalized fictional version of this. It's by Rona Jaffe. Apparently it's pretty it's pretty good. Like the story is solid with like mazes and monsters shoehorned into the plot. Like it's a good book, but it's like mostly like they just she just added that in so it would get like published and picked up. Well, yeah. and then they did make a movie adaption with Tom Hanks. With a young Tom Hanks. Wow. Oh, okay. So you can watch it on your next T Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Quick question. Did they ever find the kid in real life? Yeah, he was in Florida. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. He had run away. The PI found him. And basically, like, the kid convinced him not to talk about it. And then the, uh, two years later, the kid ended up killing himself. Oh. Aw. That's, that's balls. Yeah, it was pretty upsetting. Apparently, the PI was really pissed that uh, the lady got a first crack at the story. Wow. Yeah. We watched, um, in preparation for this episode, we watched, like, a New York Times video about it, and mm-hmm. he, they interviewed the PI, and he seemed really, like, 
<laughs> Salty. Yeah. <laughs> like, even though it had been disproven that D&D really had anything to do with this kid's mental breakdown, mm-hmm. he kept saying that it definitely did. Well, it was... Ugh, okay. okay. You can imagine how that affected Dungeons & Dragons. It became both insanely popular and incredibly yep. reviled at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You had this one case of Egbert, and then it became this, you know, this sort of urban mm. legend. Yeah. Of other people disappearing into the steam tunnel. Mm, those are closed now, listeners, so don't <laughs> get any ideas. And I mean, there's still stigma around D&D to this day, especially with older people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's pretty common that people our age play D&D yeah. or some other kind of role-playing game. Because um, suddenly it's cool, but... I think talking, like, saying Libby. God, now I have to I know, right? <laughs> train it's myself weird. to say Libby. The, the whole Dungeons & Dragons, like, oh, that's demon, died out. But then it was replaced with everyone's, like, paranoia about Harry Potter in the 90s. Yes. Yeah, so in the 90s when Harry Potter got really, really popular when it came out, around 98, 99, suddenly, like, evangelical Christians had something else to focus on because it was, like, blatantly witchcraft. And they could say that, like, kids were casting the spells for real and, like, Mm -hmm. becoming witches Harry Potter. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, not Flipendo. That's not even a real spell. <laughs> it was in the video game. It's I don't want to talk to you right now about this. <laughs> okay. So parents got really worried. The other side, for people who didn't think that Harry Potter was evil and like were obsessed with it from the beginning, which is me, um, it's really hard for me to think about that being like a serious thing, but it was. Like mm-hmm. I knew people who weren't yeah. allowed to read Harry Potter. Right. I had a friend whose parents wouldn't let her read Harry Potter. Her parents wouldn't let her consume the movies, none of mm-hmm. that, because they were Baptist. Yeah, we had some of that going around in my school. In fact, uh, middle school, we weren't allowed to play D&D mm. for school hours. <laughs> That's right, because what That's teacher sad. we had. Yeah, we did anyways. Oh, okay, good. She hounded us about it, mm. told us we weren't allowed, and we would just do it like in the cafeteria or whatever. She wasn't going to follow us. What the fuck, lady? And, yeah. And her son became crazy like that, too. Oh, no. And he ended up hating Harry Potter, which was one of his favorites. Oh. And then he started, like, throwing away and burning all his, like, music that he was into. <gasps> and He could have given him away. Yeah, you'd say. No, he didn't want anyone else to have that evil influence. <sighs> yeah. He tried to convert me on a daily basis. Oh, and now, last I heard of him, he was a Christian music singer. What? Yeah. Oh, uh, wait. I mean, that was like five or six years ago. Oh, okay. A Christian music singer. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Did you guys know that Christian heavy metal is called white metal? Yes. It's not black metal? It's my favorite thing in the world. I bet you there's other reasons you could call it white metal. Uh, (laughs) It's like dark chocolate and white chocolate. White chocolate is not real chocolate. So it's a perfect metaphor. Exactly. That's why I said it. Yeah, she said it because she knows I have a lot of ire about white chocolate. Uh, yes. So, listeners, driving through Battle Creek and, like, the surrounding area, it's mostly country stations and then, <laughs> like, Catholic radio and then, like, three other Christian radio. And when I'm driving through there and I change the radio dial, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And then I listen a little closer. It's Jesus music. They try yep. and slip it in there. Listen, 
listen, personal opinion, Satanists were up front. They were like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> Evangelicals and, like, hardcore Christians, they try and trick you. They're like, oh, let's give you this great beat, but we're going to sing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're like, I don't <laughs> fucking want to hear about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just How dare you? beats for my ride. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then... Um, Detroit birthed one of the biggest Christian bands ever. You know what? We're not going to talk about them right now. <laughs> Wait, who? No. The Jug. Or, uh, St. Clown Boss. They're not oh. Christian, no matter what they say. Striper? <laughs> we're going to talk about Striper? Sure. Is that Listen, what you're telling me? <laughs> we're going to take a nice, quick, beautiful music break, and you all are going to listen to the beauty that is Striper. Yeah. <laughs> this is never going to stop. Damn it. talk about now because you listen to that beautiful striper song <laughs> is pop culture so we've got a lot of stuff about pop culture we're going to talk about but let's start out with music i know yeah. carrie wanted to talk about music yeah a little bit ago i mentioned a certain individual with an interesting name called tipper gore <laughs> and tipper gore was a hard line is is oh i'm sorry she's still alive unfortunately <laughs> She was the wife, she is, the wife of Al Gore, the 45th Vice President of the United States. And she was on the front line of trying to demonize a lot of very popular music back in the 80s. So much so that she created a uh, group. She created the Parents Music Resource Center that came, went through and made a huge list and they called it the infamous Filthy 15 list. And she was so... Zealous? Yeah, zealous about um, profanity and any kind of demonic symbolism, anything like that, that her husband, that's right, everybody thinks he's so great, Al Gore, put together a congressional panel to force a bunch of artists to come before Congress and testify about their music (laughs) and the imagery that they used. Marilyn Manson. Frank Zappa. John Denver. Oh, yeah. John Denver. Nice. Yeah. Twisted Sisters. That guy's so milk toast. I know. 
Rocky Mountain High Patrick. High. <laughs> what do you think he was talking about? That good, good Kush. You're right. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you just say that good, good Kush? Kush. I said Kush. <laughs> Okay. I know sure. I know what I'm about. No. <laughs> um ACDC, Ozzy Osbourne, Judas Priest, Venom, Black Sabbath, Thrasher, Prince, Merciful Fate, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Wasp, Iron Maiden, Black Roses, Rolling Stones. I don't know how they got the Rolling Stones to show up because I feel like Mick Jagger didn't do anything he didn't want to do. Their PR reps probably went. On his entire life cocaine bender. <laughs> so yeah. So they dragged these people in front of uh in front of Congress and they had to defend their music. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the impetus and like strength of Parents Music Resource Center that Tipper Gore started was like we were talking before, the destruction of the nuclear family, this new music that was out there. And, I mean, you have to remember it was still the Cold War. So Mm -hmm. lots of people were paranoid and they needed an outlet for it. It was a continuation of McCarthyism. I also want to put in the book that is relevant to this, which is Backwards Masking Unmasked (laughs) (laughs) by Jacob Aranza. He's talking about this thing that people got all up in arms about during the satanic panic, which was that there was music, like all the bands that Kara just listed, that promoted Satan. And one of the ways that would promote Satan is that basically it was like the equivalent of subliminal messaging, but people were speaking backwards. And if you played the messages a particular way, it would be saying things like Hail Satan or whatever, Stairway to Heaven, just a bunch of songs. You know what? I just had, I just remembered because I've been thinking about the Beatles. This is also when Sgt. Pepper's, well, that was before, but Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts, Hearts Club band, Aleister Crowley is on the cover of that, A. And then B, their one song that features, like, the wall of sound or something like that. Oh, Phil Spector, another famous serial uh, killer. Yeah, well, that people, like, thought that if you played that song on Sgt. Pepper's backwards, it was, like, a summoning ritual for Satan, basically. It was like the unsound. Nice. In this book, he basically talks about how it works, but that's like the first couple pages of it. And then apparently after that, it's just him trashing the shit out of all the music he hates. And that's it. (laughs) Cool. Nice. It works and you're all shitheads. Okay, bye. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, A couple of things that include Satan that he writes about are the Eagles. uh, Oh, yeah. The Bee Gees? Yes, the Bee Gees. Do not besmirch Rock Lobster, okay? (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. That's the B-52s. This is the Bee Gees. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y. That's the Bay City Rollers. Okay. Well, we were both wrong. (laughs) I love you both. With all of my heart. Holy fuck. Okay, we're gonna move on. Someone please name a real BG song. Uh, Not without having to Google it. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. This is where we're at, everyone. I know my mom loved the Bee Gees. I was not exactly impressed. Listen, after watching their Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie. So bad. That was my mom's favorite movie. No. (laughs) It's the worst. I've watched it at least a dozen times. (laughs) Oh, I'm so sorry. So, yeah, and also as a random tidbit, 
that's related but unrelated. Uh, the whole thing with the Rajneeshis that takes place mm-hmm. in the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country, all of this also went down at about the same time. And they were a high-profile yeah. pro- high cult that a bunch of rural people in Oregon were pissed about. That was also on everyone's mind. Also, there were a ton of high-profile serial killer cases yeah. that people really had never seen before. That was one thing I hadn't really considered about the satanic panic was the whole serial killer element. Like, you know, you had Zodiac Killer yeah. and all these other ones referencing symbols and occult stuff. Right. I hadn't realized that there's a direct connection. Yeah, this 70s was a spooky time to uh, be alive. Spoopy, I guess, if you want to be accurate. <laughs> it was very spoopy. Much spoop. Um, okay, so we need to pause for a sec. Care's internet went out. What were we talking about? Um, we also mentioned uh, serial killers being another sort of factor in the satanic panic because they were much more um, widely covered. I think we're due for a game. Oh, we are. We are indeed. Let's take a quick music break, and then when we come back, we will play an amazing game. Yeah. Hail Satan. <laughs> Hail Satan. best game I've ever come up with in my life. <laughs> I believe it. Chick tracked title or not. <laughs> oh boy. So I'm gonna read a phrase and I need you guys to tell me if you think that it's a chi- a real actual chick tracked title or not. Patrick, what is a chick tracked? So chick tracks are these weird little pamphlet things that Jack Chick, who's like this crazy religious guy, I don't know. He's dead now, so it's fine. Uh. But there's these little things, these little pamphlets that you would like send to churches and everywhere, and they'd get handed out. And they were about basically everything being evil mm. and why you should avoid everything. Mm-hmm. Right. He was apparently converted by his in-laws, like uh, in like his midlife. Oh, okay. Hmm. And then he was really zealous about it. Super zealous. And also, those the size of the chick tract is the same size as these old 
porno comics that used to exist that had a really unflattering nice. name. <laughs> like Tijuana Wallet or some dumb name uh, like that. Oh, I've heard of those. Yeah. Nice. So he kept, that was like the size you would like get it and it would have like, I, they used to feature like Popeye and like some female what? some female comic strip character. I don't know. I just I don't make the facts. I just find them on the internet. So that's why they would have them and they would like leave them around and people would pick them up thinking they were these porn comics. Potentially, mm. yes. But also they're like the perfect size to fit in your wallet and stuff. Yeah. Great marketing strategy. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I okay. just imagine some guy at a truck stop being like, oh, porn, and then being converted to Aww. Jesus Christ. Uh, and the other thing is that they always end with the prayer that evangelical Christians pray when they want to accept the Lord Jesus into their heart. It's like a very specific prayer. Hmm. And it's like, you can say this and you'll be saved. Anyway, we actually have a lot of them. I used to collect them when I was an undergrad. We own a lot of them. <laughs> anyway... So I'm going to give you a name, and I want you to tell me if it's a chick tract or not. Okay. Ready. There go the dinosaurs. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is Patrick playing this game? Because I feel like he has an unfair advantage. (laughs) I will hang back. He'll hang back until you give your opinions. Okay. All right. So there go the dinosaurs. There go the what? Dinosaurs. Oh. (laughs) Uh, I think that's real. I think that's a chick tract. I think it's not. I'm pretty sure it is. Damn it. That is a chick track. Damn it. It's about evolution. Aw, oh, man. <laughs> for better, for worse, forever. <clears throat> yes, chick track. Oh, man. I think so. I think so. I may have even seen it before. I'm, <laughs> you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no. Patrick would be right. It's not Damn a chick it. track. It's actually a Lorraine McDaniel novel. Oh my god. You know, those are very different, though. <laughs> no, they're not. We're gonna go with The Gay Blade. Ooh. <laughs> oh no. Which yes. sounds like an awesome superhero, by Hell the way. yeah! Oh or, my god, yes. Or a Yuri on Ice fanfic. <gasps> <gasps> Anyway, oh my the gay blade. The interpreter becomes the the fluent. Amazing. <laughs> Incredible. It's true. <laughs> We're so proud of you, Peggy. You're welcome. I still think it's a chick track, though. I think it might be, yeah. I think so. It is. It's about homosexuality. I'm pretty yes. sure I've read that one. Oh, no. Cannibals Among Us. No, oh. come on. Oh, it totally is. Yes. No, it's not. It's not? I thought Damn that was one of the Catholic Church. So it's not, but that's what oh. I was thinking that it would have been about. Oh, that would be a good one about the Catholic that's Church. That's right. Listeners, if you don't know, one of the persistent myths about Catholicism is that they think that they're cannibals because they eat the body, the blood and body of Christ. It's just unleavened bread. It's just wine. We just get crunk every Sunday. We're supposed to believe that's literally that true, it though. Literally gets turned into it. Okay. Well, there. That's there what transubstantiation means, Harry. That's but why listen. the Romans. That's why the Romans used to persecute Christians, among other but, things. But listen. But listen. It's just bread. <laughs> Let's go with this next one. I happen to agree. Tell the Roman centurions that. 
One time we wanted to throw a party in college. Oh, God. That was a water into wine party. And we bought a ton of wafers and a ton of wine. <laughs> and we ended up just getting drunk and then eating the wafers and never throw a party. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, our next title is Dungeons, Dragons, Damned. Oh, that's yes. real. Chick track. Yes. No. Oh. oh. That one's not real. I made it's that so one up. I love that alliteration. Nice. Let's go with um, Here Kitty Kitty. What? No. I'm confused, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. <laughs> but I'm going to go with yes. I'm uh, like 50 50 right now, but I'm going to go with yes. It is. It's about Halloween. <gasps> yes, oh. he wanted to ban Halloween. That was like his big thing. We're going to oh. go with The Unwelcome Guest. That sounds like a mystery novel. So I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to say no as well. It's an Edward Gorey story, isn't it? It might be, but it's also a chick tract about Masons. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he left no stone unturned with these. I was listening to like Christian radio when I was in Austin. And it was Mm. like this call-in show where they were talking to someone. Someone called in and they were like... My friend wants to be a Freemason, but is that, like, okay with the church? <laughs> and the people on the station, like, took it under real serious consideration. And they're like, <laughs> the church is your family. And, you know, in the first couple levels, levels of masonry, that's fine. But if you go any higher, then you're abandoning the church. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. And it, there was, like, t- 10 minutes devoted to this. <laughs> All right, I have one more. All right. The True Path. No. I think that's real, yeah. I think so, too. Um, It is real. Do you want me to tell you what it's about? Damn it. Absolutely. It's about Jesus. Native American. No! No! All right, you're welcome. That was a great game. shit, no. You all really knocked it out of the park. Um, (laughs) I feel worse, though. There's one that really was about Catholicism. It's called Mary's Kids. Ah! <laughs> the one about Dungeons and Dragons is really is really famous. It was called Dark Dungeons. Yeah, that one. Mm. It's amazing. You can it see is it amazing. Online. You can read it online. And you mm. Nice. That is an Edward Gorey book, children's book, by the way. It's The, the Unwelcome Guest. Guest. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's adorable. That was Chick Tract or Not. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely need to revisit this segment. I feel uh, like it's yeah, so Yeah, yeah. This was fun. When we come back from this short music break, uh, we're going to get some sweet Dungeons & Dragons back. More Satan sounds. <laughs> Rawr. <laughs> the best ever death metal band out of Denton was a couple of guys who'd been friends since grade school. One was named Cyrus. The other was Jeff, and they practiced twice a week in Jeff's bedroom. The best ever death metal band out of Denton never settled on a name. But the top three contenders, after weeks of debate, were Satan's Fingers, and the Killers, and the Hospital Bombers. Believed in their 
hearts They were headed for stage lights and lear jets And fortune and fame so in script That made prominent use of a pentagram They stenciled their drum heads and guitars with their names And this was how Cyrus got sent to the school Where they told him he'd never be famous And this was why Jeff in the letters he'd write to his friend help develop a plan to get even when you punish a person for dreaming his dream don't expect him to thank or forgive you the best ever death metal band out of denton will in time both outpace and outlive you hail satan I one time had a dream, like a sleep paralysis dream, about a demon trying to get my face and speaking demon to me. What? That was not fun. That was when he had the swine flu. Oh my god. That's very common, actually. That was, was just a normal time. That was just a normal time? I used to have a lot of sleep paralysis dreams. Aliens and demons were the big ones. Shit. That's, the demon thing is a very common thing to see during sleep paralysis. I have this, I found this really interesting article about this guy who's studying sleep paralysis. I should send you the link. Yeah, that'd be great. That's really cool. As somebody that is a complete non-believer, like having these dreams kind of things, it's always really weird. Because you have one, you're like, demons aren't real. But that (laughs) totally was a thing. Your subconscious (laughs) doesn't know that, though. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Alright, D&D mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a couple. The one I like to talk about the most is that Gary Gygax, the creator, was actually like a hardcore Jehovah's Witness. Of course! So like, Weird. when these Frickin people kept talking about him being, you know, satanic and D&D being satanic, he was like, uh, not no. even a little bit. <laughs> That's hilariously ironic. Okay, but that's why it's all paper and pencils and dice, because they don't, like, Jehovah's Witnesses don't like material possessions. They don't have oh any toys. Oh my god. It all yep. makes sense now. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And Tracy Holy Hickman shit. was one of their first big writers and still kind of does stuff with them, but basically from the 80s to maybe early 2000s, uh, he is a super Mormon. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote an article defending D&D from a faith perspective. I would read that. Yeah, I probably can dig up a link. Originally, they had a lot of, like, original myth, like, actual, like, people myth. And they called things demons and devils. And when they did the second edition of Dungeons & Dragons, they renamed everything to have, like, really silly names. So they wouldn't be, like, connected to demons. Instead of demons and devils, it was, like, Tanari and Beidazu and Ukuloths <laughs> and all nice. this other like stupid shit that I love, but <laughs> doesn't make any sense. That sounds very clever. They also got rid of all of their like awful black and white art that had like disproportionate like nipples and breasts. And stuff. So... <laughs> mm, good call. Yeah, that was some. some so there's like some D and D You made me think of like how there's like they try and put in the in the rule book that there's like a set sort of like 
alignment for certain species, like certain races and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems... I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. No, I know what you mean. That seems very, like, fatalistic. Like, a lot of Christianity is, like, it very much. It very much aligns itself with Christianity. Certain people... Predetermination. Yeah, like, predetermination. Yeah. It's very Tolkien, and Tolkien is religious, so... Yeah. Tolkien was real Catholic. By the way, there's a woman at my work who is training her own therapy dog. He's <gasps> eight months old. He's a golden retriever. Bubba. What's his name? This is the best part. His name is Aslan. Ah! He <laughs> is such a baby. He's so big, though. He's only eight months. He's huge. He's massive. Is he baby! Like, is, Whoa. is he like Buddy? Uh, no. He's, like, way more... Chunky. Yeah. He... Yeah. Yes. That That is a good word for it. Yes. <laughs> but what cool. made me think of it was J.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. They got you. Aslan. I followed that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that was good. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's take another quick music break, and when we come back, we can uh, do our awesome new uh, segment that we're calling... Lies and truths according to the Gospel of Skeptical Inquirer. Excellent. We'll have to work on that title. <laughs> I like it. I like okay. it. It's wordy. It's very Monty uh, Python. Listen to this yeah. music. once again hi this segment is called lies and truths according to the gospel of the skeptical inquirer and me and and carrie i am the final arbiter okay (laughs) basic info so the skeptical inquirer is this publication that is dedicated to well i'll just read you their secondary banner on the front of their covers the magazine for science and reason. That sounds great, right? On the surface. <laughs> there are some buck wild opinions in this magazine. <laughs> oh, 
So, Skeptical Inquirer has been around for a very long time. It's been around since, like, 1976, I think. Perhaps came around because of the events we're talking about right now. Right. Very likely. And they're still around today. We actually follow them on Facebook. So, listeners, if you're... You want to know more, you can go look at our liked pages and find them. But don't look too closely at them because we like resharing no. their posts. So let us have that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, I feel like they're skittish. If you look too hard at them, they'll run yeah, away. Yeah, that's true. This volume that I'm going to be reading from today, their big article is The X-Files Encounters the Skeptics. Chris Carter Takes Questions. And the cover oh is our two favorite, Mulder and Scully. Sorry, nobody down here, but the FBI is most unwanted. The article we're talking about today is called Victims of Therapy or Victims of Memory. And the reason we're talking about this, this article is because a lot of the cases of satanic ritual abuse that came to court or were like investigated, as Lib was talking about, was the result of, or this new psychology and therapy practice of repressed memories. Mm -hmm. So psychology was advancing really rapidly back in the 80s, and people didn't always know how to use it correctly. And one of these things was people thought that memories could be repressed. Like, you shut a door and you forget you have them, they're just not there but only through a certain kind of therapy could you, quote-unquote, uncover these memories. In this article, they very staunchly state that that is not possible. You can't repress things like that. You can't forget things. And I was like, that can't be true because personally, I have suppressed memories. I mean, not like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I forget things. So... I looked into, um, because I was reading this book, a lot of it had to do with talking about memory. And psychologists and neurobiologists have actually found now that when you remember something, your brain fills in the blanks where your memory is not complete. But the problem is, Mm -hmm. is that when you're retrieving information, you don't know if you're retrieving something from your actual recollection or if it's blanks that your brain has filled in to create a coherent story because your brain is really good at making rational assumptions about what would have happened in that scenario. So if you're trying to remember about what you did at work yesterday you're going to fill in in places things that normally happen at work. You're not going to fill in, oh, and then there was a dinosaur standing by the door. Because unless you work <laughs> unless you work at a museum, there's not a dinosaur sure. standing at the door. So your brain fills in blanks from reasonably assumed right. plausible things. But the act of memory remembering is a reconstruction. It's not accessing a phone yes. picture or a file. It's constructing something in the moment. So there's no way to repress things. It's just maybe forgetting them completely or diffusing them because of pain. Circling back to the satanic panic and satanic ritual abuse, when someone is undergoing this kind of quote-unquote therapy, it's really easy to implant memories that aren't real. Right. And I think that's where the skeptical inquirer is coming off and saying that's a real thing because right. it's backlash to this whole like false memory thing. This yeah. issue was published in 1997, kind of the tail end of this, but it was still kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I did I did some research into it. It's very possible for people to kind of like Peggy said, like diffusing 
painful memories, things that made you feel unsafe, things that were traumatic, things that were, you know, damaging. Our natural response is to forget or, like, gloss over it. It doesn't mean it's gone. It doesn't mean, like, you can't remember that it happened. It's just surface level. Right. But for a lot of people who have intensely traumatic experiences, like actually suffering sexual assault or witnessing abuse or things like that, a lot of the time they can't forget. It's PTSD. So, I mean, like, it's a fact that domestic abuse victims have a higher rate of PTSD than veterans. Right. Because they, like, you're caught in that emotional loop. Anyway, so the fact that these psychologists were trying to claim that these repressed memories of, like, satanic rituals, like beheading a goat or, like, strangling a chicken <laughs> or, like, painting blood on the walls, it if something that traumatic had happened to someone, they wouldn't be able to forget it, probably. Or, like, sexual abuse. Right. Also, some of those kids were too young to, um later in their life recall that memory because before age five you don't remember anything and that's like biological by design right Mm -hmm. and i mean there's also the reverse there's the flip side and we've talked about this before lots of people who claim to have been abducted by aliens haunted by ghosts things like that they substitute that in for a traumatic event. There's a lot of material out in our culture that allows them to create something that is so it's real protective. to them. Well, sometimes they'll just create something that seems so real to them that they don't know the difference. Like I was reading about this book about people who believe they've been abducted by aliens. And because there's a lot of material out in pop culture and in people's cultural schema, like to to access people can create a memory of an alien abduction that never actually happened and it's really tangible and real to them because they have all of this imagination fodder to work with just Mm -hmm. like if someone is saying that they had satanic ritual abuse when they were younger they could truly believe it because they created a memory that they can't tell the difference between something that actually happened in a memory and something they constructed, and then they had the material of, like, the exorcist and the Manson Mm -hmm. murders for their brain to work with, and suddenly they're really believing something that they've, their brains have created. Therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists today are trained to pick up on inconsistencies, story, other contributing factors in their life that could have caused this. So I'm just saying, like, listeners, don't freak out. it, It seems, like, really, like, on the fence iffy like do i have repressed memories or not but like the science has advanced a lot since then like people know that you can't do that kind of repressed memory therapy anymore because it's really damaging and fucks you up yeah yeah especially with the presence of like a therapist or an authority figure like a parent or a teacher or a priest Mm. they found in actual psychological studies that if you are asked to recount a story of something that you believe happened but may not actually be true if you're in the presence of an authority figure you start to believe it more firmly which is exactly what happens with a a therapist in these kinds of right, yeah. not true test memory recovery things. I just want to read this choice, this choice sentence or couple of sentences from this article in the Skeptical Inquirer. Second, if memories are truly forgotten, they probably can't be recovered. 
They are, like Clementine, lost and gone forever. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm reading this article, I'm reading along this article, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what is, what? Now you know we have to play Clementine. In a cavern in the canyon, excavating for a mine, built a miner, 49er, and his daughter, Clementine. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, oh, my darling, Clementine. You were lost and gone forever, dreadful sorry, Clementine. So, it's, it's also funny because in the Skeptical Inquirer article, it's actually a book recommendation by them that you can buy for in paperback in paperback $24.95 what yeah for a paperback (laughs) called called victims of memory sex abuse accusations and shattered lives by mark pendergast wow we see you skeptical inquirer we see you that's the gospel according to the skeptical inquirer all right Let's take another quick music break, and when we come back, we can talk about whether or not we answer our question and give you some recommendations. Woo! The male spider is not considered to be dangerous. demand. Alright guys, the real question of today is, did we answer our question? <laughs> was there really a satanic panic? Uh, according to Tipper Gore, there was. <laughs> I think so. And some people think it's still happening. Uh, yeah. I think it definitely happened. 
to some extent, in certain circles, it's probably still going on. What do you think, Patrick? Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing is that in the 80s, it wasn't just an evangelical thing. It kind of permeated... The entirety of culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, white people culture, anyways. Yeah. That's another nice thing to talk about, is that pretty much this only happened to white people. That makes sense. Oh, we don't have yeah. any real things to be worried about. <laughs> yeah. And if things had been happening to poor minorities, the white people wouldn't care. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, that aside... <laughs> um, yeah, I think it definitely happened. I think that's why it's interesting and depressing, is that it happened on a pretty large scale. Mm-hmm. And even you see it in places like the UK, uh, other mm-hmm. parts of Europe. Yeah, it ended up being almost a, like sort of global in the Western world. I definitely don't think it's happening on that large scale nowadays. Yeah. No, but yeah. I've had enough experiences personally to know that there's still people like that. But yeah. People kind of talk about the Illuminati now and how the Illuminati <laughs> are part of, like, that are the underground cult that has, like, a child sex ring. I'm pretty sure that's what the Pizzagate guy was talking about. Probably. Mm, yeah. So it's moved from satanic cults to regular shitty anti-Semitic controlling the world cults, basically. Right. Which right. seems to reflect pretty accurately on where we're at right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what... Uh, recommendations do you guys have for our listeners? Oh, well, I recommend two things, two different pieces of media. One is uh, called The Center Will Not Hold. It's a documentary about Joan Didion. It's on Netflix. And it's about this gal, Joan Didion, who wrote a lot of fiction and nonfiction starting in the late 50s all the way through the 60s. Yeah. She covered a lot of crazy stuff, including like rock and roll, although it's questionable because she thought Morrissey was cool. Or Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison, sorry. Still bad. Um, But she covered a lot of like contemporary stuff because she wrote for like Vanity Fair and everything. And she's like a big deal, like in a feminist vein in that she was high profile. She wrote a nonfiction that was really good. She wrote about the Manson murders and it's a good documentary. She also helped Harrison Ford get discovered, so... Oh, yeah, I read that article. Um, And then my second recommendation is our favorite podcast, I Don't Even Own a Television. They've done three different episodes about three different books related to what we talked to today. They reviewed Michelle Remembers. They reviewed Backwards Masking Unmasked. And they reviewed Mazes and Monsters, and they're all really funny episodes. So you should go check them out if you are at all interested in those books and when we mentioned them. What do you have for us, Carrie? I have one from our previous guest, Gloria. Oh, yeah. She is our one of our resident goths in our friend group. And she recommends the song by Marilyn Manson called Say 10, spelled S-A-Y, and then the number 10. Nice. And she said, because it's a great pun, which I cannot argue with, <laughs> she recommended looking up the murder of Kelly Day Wilson. Oh. Uh, it happened in the 90s. It's another example of, not satanic ritual abuse, but satanic cults. I looked it up, and it's a very weird sort of, this woman disappeared in Texas, and it's like a crazy, like, whodunit, like, what was Satanism, basically. Oh. Um, so you guys should look it up. It's called the, Kel- uh, it's the murder of Kelly Day Wilson. 
Okay. I recommend if you want just like something fun. It's silly, but it'll scare you shitless. And I don't know if I recommend it already, but it's called The Black Tapes. Oh, yeah. It's a really good podcast. Uh, it's about like Satanism and like end of the world cults, uh, but it's really good. Cool beans. Do you have any recommendations for us, Patrick? I have a couple ideas, but I want to mold them over a second. Okay, so <laughs> my recommendation uh, this week, listeners, is a fiction uh, novel, uh, and it is The Wolf in White Van by John Darnell. Mm. Um, it sort of plays off of the whole Ninjas and Monsters, John Egbert thing, and it's about this man who writes an RPG by mail that people play, and it's also about these two kids who take it a little too literally and go missing. It's amazing. I loved it a lot. It'll mess you up, but like it will, in a good way. It will mess you up. Uh, John Darnell is the Mountain Goats, so um, if you are familiar at all with the Mountain Goats, we played one of their songs earlier in the episode. Um, I definitely recommend you check that out, and it was up the year it was published. It was up for the National Book Award. Solid. If you like audiobooks, you can listen to the audiobook of him, and he reads it, and he also composed music for it. Nice. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Uh, So I don't really have too much about this satanic panic in general. Uh, I had actually briefly thought about recommending Wolf and White Band. (laughs) But we talked a lot about memory and how memory works and how it doesn't work, and it immediately brought me to my specialty, which is poetry. And I thought about two books that you should probably look into. So the first one is Geography 3 by Elizabeth Bishop. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's fantastic. Most people have read at least a little bit from uh, Elizabeth Bishop, at least in school. She touches back on a lot of her own memories, or at least a lot of the narrator's memories about childhood, but also kind of how that interacts with personal life and how sort of past memories can kind of resonate into the future. And the other book that I would talk about, one that I'm a little bit, have more little mastery over, is uh, Winter Stars by Larry Levis. Cool. That book has a lot to do with his teenage years, how he remembers certain things unfolding, either that was with like school or maybe with his father, and how not only is he trying to kind of grab at those memories, but how he has to fill in the gaps. That's cool. Awesome. Listeners, one other thing I wanted to mention is that we didn't end up talking about a couple of really funny aspects of pop culture and satanic panic. So on our Facebook page, we're going to link a YouTube video that Patrick and I watched as research for this episode that was fucking insane. Uh, And it was about, like, cartoons of the 80s. So it was talking about, like, Uh... He-Man and Thundercats (laughs) and the Smurfs. And the Smurfs, yeah. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. So we're going to link that on the Facebook page. Highly recommend that you watch it. It's ridiculous. What are our uh, end of pod notes? What do we What do we got some catching up on to do? In episode sixteen point five, we talked about Michelle Wolf. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to say that I we watched her show. It premiered last Sunday on Netflix, and it was great. Everyone go watch it. Nice. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really funny that all of our viewers, watch, listeners, whatever, really liked that picture of that map I posted. <laughs> Oh, the, um, the Earth I, map? Yeah, I don't know why, but, uh... Oh, I thought you were talking about the, the Big Butt Earth. Oh, well, that, too. I mean, <laughs> I loved that, too. And uh, all of you listeners better loved it, too. No, I'm kidding. So, thanks for liking my map. 
So there's this doctor in California. He's getting in serious trouble and will probably have his medical license taken away. Because on his website, he was promoting this uh, audio track as preventing illnesses like Ebola, SARS, swine flu, malaria, typhoid, and cholera. He claims that the sound waves can carry the energetic signal from homeopathic remedies to treat patients. So he Mm. claims to be able to collect that energy by placing vials of homeopathic remedies like water in electrified wire coils and recording any... water? Well, that's all that they are. We've talked about this before. Oh, my God. And recording any emitted sounds. With this method, he produced 263 e-remedies, which are (laughs) 13-second recordings conveniently available as either a WAV or an MP3 file. And they're said to sound like hissing. Mm. I don't like that. No pass. You can get these remedies via his website, mdinyourhand.com. And you can Mm. dose themselves with the recordings to treat a variety of ailments. Sounds like my hand is my MD. (laughs) (laughs) The individual recordings go for $5 a pop. And you can also subscribe to receive $25 for $100. What? He said he created in 2014 a campaign to treat Ebola via cell phone, curing three out of three within four hours simply by playing the appropriate E-remedy several times an hour. Nope, that's not how that works. So they're definitely going to take his medical license away. But, and here's the awful part, he graduated from Stanford Medical School in 1970, but has been practicing homeopathy since then. What a dumbass. Uh, he seems unbothered by the prospect of losing his medical license. What the fuck? A complete waste of money. <sighs> Thanks, Stanford. This oh. is your fault. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us through this episode and listening. We're still trying to get used to calling each other by our real names. Mm-hmm. So yeah. bear with us. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, The Triple Hoax Podcast. Um, we're on Tumblr and Twitter at The Triple Hoax. You can always feel free to email us, thetriplehoax at gmail.com. Uh, find us on SoundCloud or uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That's where we are. Um, if you really want to help us out, leave us a five-star rating, uh, review on iTunes and tell us what your favorite 80s cartoon is. And if you weren't around in the 80s, tell us what your favorite chick track is. Yeah. <laughs> so this has been the Triple Hoax. And remember, it doesn't have to be a mystery. We were at the beach. Everybody had matching towels. Somebody went.
probably when I'll play Wake Me Up. Nice. Wake me up. Wake me up inside. I can't wake up. <laughs> wake, wake me up, up inside. Alright. Call my name. Save me from something. Dark. Dark. Yeah. I should know that. Come on, Libby. Libby. <clears throat> <laughs>